At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right, welcome back. If you are a Dunked On Prime subscriber, you are getting this ad-free. But good to be back on the public airwaves uh, as well for our regular subscribers. And we got a ton to talk about here. Want to change up that we've been focusing so much on the playoffs. So generally, I think on the one day per week public podcast, we're going to try to give you some topics that are a little bit longer that can kind of last you throughout the week. Obviously, if there's a game that's just happened that day, we'll do that. And of course, we're going to talk Nuggets Clippers later in the show. But what we really want to start with is a survey of what the landscape looks like here in free agency in 2020. Who has cap space? Who has the mid-level? Who is going to be using the taxpayer mid-level most likely? And then talk about the free agent forwards, the threes and the fours, and how we rank those players, what could be some possible landing spots for them. So let us begin here with a discussion of the teams that are will have what you would say is more than the mid-level in cap space. Because recall that once you're got about 10 million or so or less in cap space it kind of makes more sense to normally stay over the cap using cap holds or the value of your exceptions maintain those exceptions you also can get the biannual as well if you do that so you just generally have more flexibility if you actually technically stay over the cap even if you could in theory create about 10 million in space once you get about to 12 13 14 million that's really the only time it starts to make sense to actually use that cap space so danny who are those teams who as of now we project to have that kind of space where they're going to be above the mid-level exception well the team that i like to start with is the atlanta hawks they do not have as much as it looked like they it looked like at one point they were going to have double max space and with the combination of taking on clint capella and Dwayne deadman for next season but also the reduced projections they're looking at about you know 40 to 45 million which is still plenty but that's that's not quite a full max yeah and by the way danny we are using i know we have separate sheets here but we're just using the same salary cap number for next year as for this year since that's yes. been what's reported as what the most likely outcome yeah that is what that is what we are both using as well and thank and, you and thank same you thing for, for the tax same taxes this year as well yeah and like. that is the the logic there is that the player association and owners wouldn't want to go too far past that as a limit because then they're especially if they're going to delay playing until it's more likely that fans are there could be a potential shortfall and it's just it would be too disadvantageous for for players in that context so we're, we're both kind of leaning in that direction uh, next team to bring up is, I would say, Charlotte. I'm not saying they're all the next most space, but Charlotte is interesting. Uh, they moved up to the number three pick, which actually lowers their cap space, but I have them around $18 million, depends on what happens with Dwayne Bacon's hold. I, considering his disappointing year, maybe they let that go. Um, next- well, wait, hold on, hold on. Are you sure that Batum is going to opt in? <laughs> oh, am I going into the falsetto now? <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe 
I should just limit that to myself? Uh, okay. Uh, yeah. So, so uh, yeah, a little under twenty million for Charlotte, as we were saying. Yeah. And then the mo- kind of the most striking shift that happened was the Andre Drummond trade. So the Drummond trade, we were expecting that Cleveland would at least have, you know, they would have some wiggle room under under the tax. Maybe they could have cap space depending on how it works. But then the combination of in season getting Dante Exum and then at the deadline getting Andre Drummond pushes them out of the cap space derby and put the Pistons in. So assuming Tony Snell picks up his twenty 21- one or sorry, $12.2 million player option, which he will. Then that puts the Pistons at about, you know, about $30 million, I think is a, is a fair little proxy for them to use. And worth noting, the teams that we've really talked about already, they're not, they're not exactly immediate contenders. Um, Memphis is not going to be a cap space team because of the moves that they made at the deadline. And then Miami, it really does depend on what they do with a lot of their holdover talent. They could have, so they could have about $20 million straight up if that's, if that's what they want to do. Theoretically, they could even clear more if they wanted to move Andre Godala, who has $15 million guaranteed for 2020-21, and then a non-guarantee, a team option, actually, for 21-22. But getting to that massive, to getting to 20-plus million in space requires losing a lot of the, like, Goran Dragic, most notably. And then they, would, they, would, they wouldn't have bird rights on Jay, on Jay Crowder. They would be losing Derek Jones Jr. as well. So it's an interesting choice for Pat Riley and the Heat front office. In particular, because if they re-sign those guys they're not going to want to do it for more than one year because of their 2021 plan the other team that could make a ton of cap space if they wanted to is the new york knicks 42 million is what i project as the max that they could have and that assumes that they're going to retain reggie bullock and they've got the key variables there bobby portis taj gibson wayne ellington alfred payton those guys combined are at right about that exact 42 million dollar number portis clearly he is a team option which mark borrowson his agent likes that's going to get declined you would think for sure taj gibson 9.4 million wayne ellington 8 million payton alfred payton is 8 million alfred payton seems like a possibility to bring back at 8 million you'd think that the other two though they're probably going to move on from at those numbers unless tom thibodeau really wants his old buddy taj gibson back but i think they could even waive him and get him back at a a better price we can then go to another team that faces an interesting decision the phoenix suns the suns hurt by the lower cap than than like even our our projections because that limits their potential space we were really interested in the idea that they would basically be choosing between about 20 25 million in space but then losing dario sharich uh rights to aaron bain some of those type things now that gets a little bit thornier because they're at about i have them about 19 million in space if they let everyone go that includes Sheikh Diallo and Elia Kobo. They could keep Javon Carter's hold on the books. Um, so they could do that, or they could keep Sharich on the books keep Baines theoretically if they can get him to resign and then theoretically they could keep Kaminsky if they wanted to I wouldn't support that and they would have the full mid-level to you so it's you, you could say that they would be have more depth but I personally given how limited this year is in terms of teams that can offer more than 10 million I would probably rather have the let's call it 18 19 million in cap space yeah and much revolves around Sharich and his 10 million dollar cap hold there whether they would, could resign him for less than that whether they would just want to let him go and you know there are some fours who are available who might be an upgrade over charge with that money and then of course you mentioned Baines and his potential to return they need something at power forward so is that it for the cap space teams I would say so yes all right so let's move into now teams that will be looking at around the mid-level exception most likely although some of these players may not use that because they might re-sign players like Utah falls into that category right like Utah has about 
15 million or so under the tax line i'm sorry i misspoke about 12 million or so under the tax line and that's before they try to bring back jordan clarkson and then the apron of course is about six million dollars above the tax line so they've got about 18 million under the apron and 12 million under the tax i don't know if this is a tax paying type of team in this economy particularly and for a team that's probably not going to be a championship contender so that's just one example of these but you know just to talk about we won't go through in that level of detail with our team but just know because we got going to do offseason previews obviously for all 30 teams where we'll get into that but uh just danny in that range of all right could use the mid-level exception if they wanted to if they don't re-sign certain players who would you put in that category sacramento is definitely one they are again a team with variability in terms of their holdover talent bogdan bogdanovich is restricted he does have a 16 million dollar cap hold so he it's not like he's going to be that much more expensive but i think they should be pretty close they could all they could wave and stretch jabari if they were really really at the borderline filling out the roster could be there portland continues to be really interesting one of the other kind of question marks with them is they have the partial guarantee for trevor rezas they can either choose to pay him 12.8 million or they could waive him and pay 1.8 which one they do there is is challenging they also have a trade exception with kemp Bazemore, which they could which is another thing that it they can use it but then it count you know that counts if they trade change it into a player it counts against the cap and the tax of course yeah you know as i go through it i mean i think there are a lot of these teams that in theory could be using the mid-level but because of re-signing players probably won't right so denver nominally is right around the cap but they got jeremy grant potentially to re-sign we'll talk about his situation more in a second Millsap, mason Plumley, that they're probably going to want to bring back uh you know memphis is a team that i think could use the mid-level although they have 2021 cap space aspirations i think okc is a team that could use the mid-level but you know are they really going to want to do that as they try to move into a new era and maybe cut costs after years of having an expensive team portland i definitely think will have the full mid-level they don't have anyone that sexy to re-sign toronto they again you know if they wanted to bring back van vliet and ibaka and gasol probably not going to use the full mid-level or be able to use it uh depending on what their tax situation is so the more i go through it danny i mean of the teams who uh, even new orleans you know if they wanted to re-sign Derek favors that could maybe take them out of uh being able to use the full mid-level so I, I know a lot of people are talking about the full mid-level as being the market but as i go through it now some guys might change teams potentially but it seems like the way of things is going to be the way to get your money is re-signing maybe even at a slight discount from when it would normally be on the market because there just aren't that many teams out there who are using the full mid-level because they might want to just be re-signing their own guys thinking that that's better that they could do with the mid-level and i'm not going to go full in depth on this right now but something that i've been thinking about a lot is how the sign-in trade market is going to look because you have a lot of like theoretically that could be a way for teams to for players to try to get to different destinations try to increase their value but the problem is there aren't that many teams with cap space and there aren't that many teams that are looking to take on a ton of 21 22 money because you know there's the allure of all these high-end players also it is a great cover to save money to not to keep to keep long-term things off your books it's like oh we're gonna be we're gonna look for that and so you could see teams go in that direction as well especially with 
the financial situation that each team in the league in general is in. So, and remember that acquiring a player via sign and trade, the team that that brings them in is hard capped for the rest of that year. So that means you can't go over the apron for any amount of time for any reason. And one of the most prominent examples of how that can affect your team building is the Golden State Warriors last year, who acquired D'Angelo Russell this way. And so that meant they had to really do some finagling in terms of Kevon Looney in particular. And then also when you're that close to the cap tax line, because you can't go over the hard cap, it does lead to teams sometimes taking it a little bit easier financially. And then the Warriors ended up ducking the tax entirely. Yeah. And speaking of the tax, a lot of teams that are probably going to be in a position where they can only use that tax pyramid level. And again, there are teams where it might cost so much to do that, that they would be pretty skittish. Boston, Brooklyn, if they want to bring back Joe Harris, which you would imagine again, that they would. Golden State, Houston is going to be basically right at the tax next year, unless major changes are, are made. Indiana, low key, is already $16 million over the cap with their projected commitments for next year. So don't see them using the full mid level. They have a pretty full rotation as well clippers and lakers clippers definitely assuming that harrell and marcus morris are brought back although if they uh lose in game seven to the nuggets that could change a lot of plans for them uh the lakers probably you know if they some guys opt out and end up leaving the lakers could possibly use the full mid-level but probably more going to be the taxpayer just because of the apron i don't think the tax will dissuade them but the apron might they just would be in trouble there trying to resign guys well, and then they couldn't make an imbalance trade in season which would because because if you yeah. if you use the full if you use the full not the full non-taxpayer mid-level exception you're hard capped and that also means you're hard capped for the entire league year yeah milwaukee only about six million below the tax although and that's always been an impediment Giannis Antetokounmpo actually met with Bucks ownership yesterday and uh one of the big questions I would have had if I were him was uh so guys how much are you willing to spend going forward here particularly with me about to go on a supermax he also uh unfollowed a bunch of people on Instagram and and Twitter that were Bucks related although someone else said that all oh, that happens every year so that's always uh an interesting one but it seems it does seem like when people are speculating about your free agent destination to do that does at least send a little bit of a message um but he did also say to chris haynes that he wasn't thinking about he wouldn't demand a trade but you know that said two seconds after your team lost and you weren't out there because you're injured you know so th- there could be something happening there we'll say we'll keep an eye on that one uh minnesota also another team that probably not gonna be able to use the full mid-level they're also like trying to get sold right now maybe new ownership would change that potentially we talked about that on uh yesterday's oh. show for prime i've brought up the idea of teams you know like how they use the mid-level i think dallas is a great example there dallas should have the full non-taxpayer mid-level to use however spending it on a multi-season contract with guaranteed money beyond beyond like for 21 22 and beyond that limits their potential max aspirations for that year so it'll be interesting to see like what donnie nelson their and their front office does because they could get somebody who can help the team right now and theoretically i would actually push dallas if they find the right player to use it because they could get somebody below market and then you can clear you know like if a great player wants to come to you next year you can clear 10 to 15 million in bad money pretty easily orlando evan fournier is really the domino there number one is he going to opt out of 17 million i'm starting to project that he's not going to as of this point as we really go through this market unless of course he's going to return so i'm actually going to change my production and pencil him in for that 17 million dollar player option but i think he's he's going to be there in some form or fashion i think the only way he would opt out is if he uh did an extension 
instead or you might opt in and do an extension on top of that so i'm projecting to be on this magic team that'll put them about 12 million over the cap and about 11 million under the tax they're not going to pay the tax for this team i would imagine so you know maybe there's some other moves they can make they've also got chuma kiki coming in next year uh who they just didn't sign this year as a first round draft pick and then they also have uh the 15th overall draft pick this season so uh again i'm not necessarily seeing them as using the full mid-level they might use part of it I uh, would be my projection well and remember their unusual circumstance with john isaac presumably missing all of next season how hard are they yeah. going to push yeah that's a great point too you know it could be more of a consolidation year could even look to try and move vucevic uh, as well although you know who who are the takers going to be i mean it, it does the more i think about this offseason particularly with the unclear money situation i think that a lot of teams are just going to kind of go into next year with pretty similar rosters and and then see how it shakes out and that we're going to see a crap ton of movement at the deadline going into that huge 2021 offseason. I'll, I'll, um, I'll, yeah. I'll throw two other things in. One, I think yeah. we're going to see some challenge trades just from teams that think they have to do something. And yeah. so it's just, it's but it's not clearing the decks, giving up real assets or something. It's just like, we're going to trade our trash for your trash. And then the other one is just the, the intrigue. You, you talked about the potential at the deadline of early movers versus late movers for 2021. And you could, there are very, examples in cap space years you could think about the nets looking good that they got off some of their money like the alan crab thing early in the 2019 in the 2019 offseason and then it cost more later on you know like the warriors had to give up a first round pick with andre guadala and i don't know where all those are going in the summer of 20 in the or the fall of 2020 it's gonna be really interesting yeah, and we're seeing this too. If the cap were $6 million higher, like it was projected to be, a lot of these teams we're talking about probably could be using their mid-level, but they're just now that extra $6 million, uh lowering of the tax in the apron, it could really affect that. So maybe there's some possibility that they'll just raise it up again artificially even though there's a big i mean that might be something that i would consider if i were the players association to say hey you know what i will agree this year to a higher escrow but you also need to have the cap up at 115 where it was supposed to be instead of 109 so that guys can sign these contracts and then when revenue gets back to normal they get paid at, at where they normally would have instead of just having a year like 2018 where like there's no space and nobody can do anything so the the other proposal yeah. that i would seriously consider as the players is a higher like a larger disparity between the salary cap and the luxury tax because there aren't going to be that many cap based yes. teams anyway and maybe you throw the tax way higher yeah and that would increase the apron as well exactly. to enable more teams to use the middle that's exactly. a good idea yeah okay let's take a quick break here and then we will talk clippers nuggets game six and possibly game seven man it is crazy to think that i've been working with helix sleep since 2015 and i think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners if you've never heard it before that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom and there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one size fits all they found the one formula the one mattress that was going to work for everyone my then girlfriend now wife and i ordered that mattress we ended up having to return it because, hey, guess what? Not everyone is the same. And then she did some more research and found Helix Sleep. We took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types. And uh, Helix offers 20 unique mattresses. Everybody sleeps differently. And Helix mattresses are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences. Hot or cold, side sleeper, back sleeper. So take that Helix sleep quiz. Find your perfect mattress in under two minutes. 
and it's shipped straight to your door free of charge it's no risk because you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home you're like well how should i order this if i can't sleep I'm like yeah you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where do i take my shoes off do i leave my shoes on but then my feet kind of hang off the bed because i don't want to put my shoes on the bed and is it weird that i'm laying here for more than 30 seconds you can't tell anything under those circumstances you might as well just order it get it sent to your house get that 100 night trial they're 10 to 15 year warranty depending on the model and there's never been a better time to try a helix sleep mattress because they are offering 20 percent off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace easier slash capspace we talk about all the time here on the program that's helixsleep.com slash capspace this is their best offer yet i can attest to that since i've been working with them for nine years and it won't last long with helix better sleep starts now don't forget that slash capspace url to let them know that you came from us man i just love american giant just an amazing clothing company i was reminded again of how much i love it when i drove from california to montana over the all-star break and you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold particularly when it starts off warm in the bay and then we get into some really cold areas you're like well i don't want to wear like my jacket in the car but then i get out to fill gas I'm going to be freezing, but the American Giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice heavy material that'll keep you warm, it's not too hot as well. So I was able to wear it in the car, not be too hot, step out of the car and still be warm enough when I was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that I didn't feel like I needed my jacket, even when it was cold outside. These things are amazingly durable. I proposed to my wife wearing an American Giant hoodie in the Grand Canyon almost seven years ago. I still own that same hoodie. I still wear it constantly. And American Giant has since spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing like their premium slub crew tee the no bs high-rise pant the slim roughneck pant featured in giant magazine issue two every american giant piece is made in america and designed to last no exceptions and it provides year-round comfort so find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at american-giant.com and get 20 percent off your first order when you use that finger code capspace at checkout you remember we talk about capspace all the time here on the program that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us so i believe it was jovan buha who had this stat first after game five that the clippers were as of that time i'm sorry yeah it was after game five uh oh and six as a franchise in games to advance to the conference finals now three of those were from 2015 that's blown through one lead although two of those were on the road obviously everyone remembers game six in 2015 where they led by 19 against the rockets and ended up blowing the game to when james harden didn't even ever come back in and then they lost the game seven in 2006 on the road in phoenix and then i think there was one back in their buffalo days which is the other one but now after yet another massive blown lead 19 point lead for the clippers they were dominating at halftime once again they are now 0-7 as a franchise in games to advance to the conference finals and uh they better not be 0-8 <laughs> after, <laughs> no. after tuesday that's for damn sure yeah and i think it's fair especially considering how significant they were favorites in the series too to talk about the Clippers but I also uh, to me I, I think that a big part of the story of game six was to, to praise the Denver Nuggets I thought that their their defense really did markedly improve in the second
second half compared to the first half. And, you know, like there was this part, I, I brought this up in, in game five, that I don't, I didn't think it, the difference was as extreme in the first half as a, as the margin indicated the, the Clippers hit a ton of threes. Um, but where I want to start for game six is, is the disparity in the Clippers shot charts in the first and second half. Oh, yeah. In the first half, the Clippers had, they took 16 shots in the restricted area. They were 11 of 16, three of five from floater range, two of seven from mid-range, and then six of 12 on threes. In the second half, that 16 shots in the restricted area went down to four. The five in the floater range went up to 12. And then they took the same amount of mid-rangers and pretty similar on threes, though they made fewer of them, which was something we saw in game five. And so the Clippers also had 10 fast break points in the first quarter and 10 in the entire rest of the game. I believe they had two in the fourth quarter. Yes, that's correct. They had two in the fourth quarter and five in the third. And so, I mean, some of that, yeah, some of that you absolutely want to, uh, I mean, a lot of it, you want to give the Nuggets credit. They were doing a better job contesting around the rim. They were they were getting there. They were also getting some defensive rebounds and everything else. But also some of it was the Clippers just weren't nearly aggressive enough. Yeah, I think so. And the biggest weakness of this Nuggets defense is that they give up a lot of threes and a lot of corner threes. And the Jazz were pretty well positioned to exploit that, although the Nuggets really shut that down in their crazy comeback and the Clippers don't really generate a ton of threes now they probably could if you look at some of the personnel that they have but it's just not necessarily in their DNA they don't move the ball incredibly well they had a couple of nice sequences here but they're not a great passing team that's not their ethos they want to you know Kawhi Paul George those guys just want to work into the mid-range a little bit and George is really their only super high volume three-point guy. Marcus Morris was invisible in this one on some of those spot-ups early in this series. He was shooting, getting a lot more of those. And so what the Nuggets have been doing, which has worked extremely well, is shutting off the rim in their best moments. And they're doing that with all the size that they have at forward. Jeremy Grant, Paul Millsap, Michael Porter, Torrey Craig. Those guys have all done a really nice job of being secondary rim protectors. You saw Avicii Zubats have a really rough offensive third quarter again and he finished one out of six after two for eight yesterday and he definitely blew some bunnies too like some easy tips in particular he had four offensive rebounds and most of those were just missed tips or a couple of them with a very easy variety but you saw a lot of times where remember we had talked about in game five in their best moments where they're blitzing Leonard on the pick and roll he's getting that pass right to Zubats at the rim from a shorter range and Zubats can go right up for the dunk well now Denver is doing a better job of getting guys there when Zubach catches it and the Clippers just haven't been able to take advantage of that helping at the rim to then set up a, enough three-pointers they only got 27 three-point attempts up in this game which really is not that good so uh you know they shot it fine but if you look at this two-point percentage for the Clippers again it was 46 percent last game 43 percent in this one and you mentioned the shot distribution overall for the game 41 shots that were twos outside the restricted area or, I'm sorry 31 shots that are twos outside the restricted area which is a massive number uh and so the D- Nuggets defense has really been absolutely outstanding they have far exceeded my projections and I know a lot of people are going to be like oh the Clippers they just decided to stop playing you know this is just a laziness again they get complacent when they go up 
I don't think that's what it is, personally. What do you think? I think that in certain moments in the series, it has been. And worth noting that this is the fourth time in this series that the Clippers have led by 16 or more, some of which they won, including Game 1, obviously. But I, I, I but I don't think that was the case in Game 6. I thought that the Nuggets played a lot better defensively. I thought they competed. And, and, and offensively, they started working. They got better shots. Some of the role players' shots ended up going in. And something that I thought was most telling in this game, you brought up all the, you know, the kind of forward and forward sized guys that Denver has on their roster. So the Nuggets outscored the Clippers 34 to 19 in the fourth quarter, 34 point quarter. And Jeremy Grant, Paul Millsap did not take the four at all. They played primarily, it was a lineup of Jamal Murray and Gary Harris, then Craig and Michael Porter Jr. who played the full fourth quarter, and then Jokic. Uh, Plumlee, of course, got the minutes before before Jokic came back in. And really, that was about it. And what I was so surprised by with that group, I wasn't surprised that they scored well. I mean, they're not going to hit seven out of nine threes in a quarter every every single time. But they defended like they were bigger. And, and you could think about, we talked at length in the preview about the series about how they don't really have guys to defend Kawhi Leonard. And that's true. But they did it through more of a team concept. And so Kawhi in that fourth with no, like none, no, other than Torrey Craig, none of the really like forward sized defender guys that we that even seemed like the weak options. Kawhi Leonard, one shot in the restricted area, one for three from floater, missed his only mid-ranger and wasn't get, you know, some of that was forcing him into be a passer. Some of it was Kawhi missing some shots, but he wasn't able to take advantage the way I thought he would. Yeah, and part of that was the Clippers just being a little unlucky. Sure. You know, Kawhi, not, uh, although I thought there was a contrast to what took place in Game 2 where I didn't think Kawhi was getting good looks and just missing them and having them rim out. I thought he, he was, they held him to 8 out of 18 and only 6 of 7 from the free throw line. You know, In 41 minutes, you'd expect Kawhi Leonard to get a few more shots of that and particularly to hold Kawhi Leonard to only 5 two-point makes in 13 attempts. That's really outstanding. He only had he had five assists, which is not ridiculous either. You know, it could also be that you know, he's they are really pushing him now to defend some of the best players. He's spending a lot of time on Jamal Murray. That's not what Kawhi is used to anymore. As you're asking us, particularly with the amount of movement that someone like Murray does and all this handoff stuff that the Nuggets do, that takes a lot of energy as well. So he may not quite have the juice offensively but the problem is the Clippers don't have anyone else uh, who can guard because Patrick Beverly is going to foul out in 15 minutes every game apparently and that's really the only other guy they have to take pressure off you know George is going to be on Murray a little bit too but he's also supposed to be one of their primary scorers so it's uh this really is starting to become a little bit of a problem for the Clippers and you know Kawhi getting outplayed by Jokic I mean yeah you're probably Jokic was unbelievable in this game 34 points four of six from three continues to really stretch out that Clippers defense and then let some other guys get to the rim because he's shooting it so well seven assists five turnovers you know that's fine for for him as much as he handles the ball and you know he's really not doing a ton inside but his jump shooting has just been awesome and his passing is awesome as well so and I thought defensively Jokic was really good like he had a play for example where Kawhi comes off the pick and roll and it was one of the best possessions of pick and roll defense I've ever seen him play where he really did kind of do the stunt towards the guy play the cat and mouse game get back to his man Kawhi went up for a jumper Jokic faded fainted towards him and forced a pass to Zubin but Jokic then retreated back and got the interception on that play like he's playing the best defense of his life in this series 
Yeah, and I also think there's a lot of value for the Nuggets in this specific series in having Jokic hitting those shots because the Clippers have a lot of talented defenders, but they don't have a lot of guys who are really good help recovery rim protectors if the center is out on the floor. And so and when Zubats in particular is out there, but on Jokic standing, let's call it 20 to 25 feet from the, from the basket, that's opening up a lot for Denver's guards. Jamal Murray, four of five in the restricted area in this game. Monte Morris, who doesn't always play with Jokic, but can two out of three in the restricted area Harris had a couple of finishes as well and it's a lot easier to do that when you're not facing you know a bunch of trees and I thought that that was that that's been really significant for the Nuggets Jokic also hit a three-pointer Sambor shuffle in this game which was incredible um his range on that his comfort in some in some of those is really is really impressive and I thought that there were Michael Porter Jr.'s jump shot looked confident as well like we really saw some benefits there and I mean his for Porter what's been what I what I've enjoyed about him beyond that he had I thought he had more ball skills um, when we saw him back at the hoop summit was he has a really high release point but he also has a pretty quick release for a guy his size and so there were a couple times where the Clippers just weren't out on him close close enough and so Porter just drilled it in their faces was three out of six on three pointers also had a couple nice cuts had some nice rebounds and so if Porter if they can defend with the lineup that I said that they primarily closed with with Murray Harris Craig we could do something different with that guy MPJ and Jokic that's some real challenge for the Clippers because that group is going to score yeah I, I think so and the Clippers really tried just about everything that they could uh they went to Kawhi guarding Jokic and PG on Murray so that they could switch that took the Nuggets a second to recognize it but I think you know getting Jokic into the post in those situations more quickly is something they should go to they blew up an ATO there um but and I got a few other small notes on this but the other big theme I have is just the Clippers bench continuing to get killed and Montrose Harrell I understand I would not envy Doc Rivers this decision. And a lot of people are calling him for to get to for Montrez Harrell to be benched, but they got a couple issues there. Number one, they don't have another center that they can play. So you're basically asking for Jamichael Green to be the backup center. And that might be what I would do if I were the Clippers. But Harrell is negative 19 in 15 minutes. And here's what the important thing to me is Plumley only played eight minutes and he was only plus four. So 15 of that negative 19 for Harrell comes when he's matched up against Jokic in this game. And they tried extending Zubats more, but you know he hasn't played 40 minutes before in his career. He could get in foul trouble. You know, you're asking a lot and also Zubats Doc was really searching here Zubats couldn't score at the rim in the third and so that's when he went to Harrell and of course you know that the that did not exactly stanch the bleeding at all so I think they got to just completely get rid of Harrell maybe just get him a couple of minutes when Plumlee is out there but you just can't have him out there against Jokic because like honestly he's like 20 pounds overweight right now and you saw it there's one play in the second half where you know he normally would have driven and finished uh, off a catch on the short roll and he just kind of stumbled into the lane and threw up an awkward floater that wasn't even close like a lot of plays that he would normally dunk are turning into layups he hasn't done anything on the offensive glass he can't get a defensive rebound at all he's got like I think a nine percent rebound rate in the playoffs that's not nine percent offensive rebound rate that's nine percent overall rebound rate in the playoffs so like and it's not like he's a box out artist or anything (laughs) you know like yes no no he he is not good at that at all um so he he really really is struggling and it's tough because in theory you want to re-sign him he is this the sixth man of the year i thought he deserved to be sixth man of the year a healthy Harrell, i think would really be helping them in the series but they're getting their ass kicked in these bench minutes even and lou williams 
you know when's the last time like he was actually getting fouled you know the way we've seen with Lou Williams again that part of his game drying up in the playoffs he had a couple of good games in the playoffs last year but you know also some total stinkers and uh he gives the Nuggets a place to attack defensively at the end of the game once they started switching the Murray Jokic pick and roll with PG and Kawhi they just said okay well we'll have Torrey Craig come up and set the screen with Lou Williams and have Jamal Murray blow right by him for a layup uh so Landry Shamet was supposed to be like a huge asset for this team and you know he's been pretty invisible in this series they don't run anything for him he doesn't get enough shots they don't move the ball well enough to get him involved he's uh, regressed defensively Reggie Jackson is out of the rotation Jamichael Green I thought played reasonably well but he's not going to be like the linchpin of your bench unit on his own so what what is there left now for Doc Rivers to turn to it's also a real challenge because both Patrick Patterson and Rodney Magruder Rodney recruiter who you and I both really like have basically been on the side of a milk carton for all of Orlando and arguably almost the yeah. whole season well Patterson deserved it Magruder actually uh, had like a good moment in the seeding games against the Blazers and I I would like to see I, I mean here here's what my strategy would be almost no Harrell and if you play him it's only against Plumley. I would go with Jamichael Green as my backup five and you just would have to try to fly around and double team and I would give Rodney Magruder a shot and he can in theory hit an open shot and move it you know it'd be nice if he hadn't just been nailed to the bench this entire time you had some idea whether that was going to work or not you know it's not like they didn't have chances to maybe work him in uh but you know it's something we talked about right like he might be the closest thing to a two-way wing on their bench it's just you know throwing him into a game seven that's asking a lot right so i'm but that i mean that would be what i would probably try um you know maybe they have some information that he's just like not ready or something but uh that's that would be more of a theory to go with more of a switchable group that can double team Jokic and fly around on the floor run some of these nugget shooters off the line not have any defensive liabilities or at least fewer out there and have that be your group that you go to when you but you know i'm gonna play zubats every minute that we can here and hopefully he'll actually be able to finish a layup against these guys but it's like, like i mean there's yeah Kawhi could play better pg could play better, but they were like weren't terrible in this game right no. like they're just not getting anything from anybody else no and i mean paul george uh he didn't do a lot around the basket he only took three shots in the paint the entire game did have 11 free throws though so some of those converted though some of those fouls were on jump shots or on the floor as well but George uh he he made his threes four of nine but was two of eight on mid-rangers and I thought he settled a little bit at moments not just in the third and fourth quarters but but that it was primarily then and Kawhi you know it wasn't he wasn't he was superlative in moments like he had that pick six had a couple really nice rebounds but I don't think he was you know possession by possession incredibly dominant and yeah I mean the 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 Harrell challenge i mean i've said i've used this basic stat before but yes worth noting zubats is playing more with the starters than harrell but he's also playing against denver starters more than harrell 98.3 defensive rating when zubats was on the floor in game six 139.4 when harrell was on the floor they had a negative 60 net rating when harrell was out there plus 20.7 for zubats and zubats played 30 minutes and they lost this game the clippers lost this game by 13 so it's it, it, it there aren't easy decisions for doc rivers and it's surprising in some ways that it's the depth that's causing it though you can talk about COVID for being part of that in the unusual circumstances and I think Lou Williams his offense would look better if he'd made a couple of those layups that he missed but he's still limited defensively and I still actively dislike him on on the floor when PG and Kawhi are there even if you need a little bit of an offensive jolt yeah. just because yeah, I mean they so just don't easy. have anybody else though yeah. at this point right like Patrick Beverly had fouled out 
Exactly. I am not you know, criticizing Doc for be? having I'm not criticizing Doc for having played him at that yeah. point. It's just that it's a reminder of how limited Lou Williams is in those moments. And that matters more in this series, incidentally, because Denver has guards that can attack. And I also want to mention, like we're talking about kind of smaller stuff now. Gary Harris had that three steal sequence that was really was really oh, yeah. and his his competition level trying to rip guys, getting in there for, for rebounds and contests and helping and getting out for closeouts. He has been awesome in this series. Tori Craig's defensive effort level yeah. was also yeah. very on, good. Yeah, on Harris, by the way, I mean, number one, he hit, hit a couple of big shots there too yes. in the in the fourth. But 42 minutes, 16 points, four steals, four assists uh, as well, giving them a, just a little more attack off the bounce. And like, let's not forget, this guy had COVID-19, which, you know, Russell Westbrook talked about this in his post-game presser yesterday that he basically like couldn't work out for a month. You know, and I'm not sure that that's the case for everyone who had COVID-19, but, you know, Harris, it took him a while. He didn't even get into the bubble. Then he immediately has this hip injury he comes in in games that was game six right in in the utah denver series having not played in six months and now he's like playing 42 minutes a game i mean this just absolutely heroic performance from this guy and you know he's doing a good job on pg he's given them some transition with the those steals and just somehow he's like playing harder than anyone on the court despite those issues that i mentioned and then uh jamal murray like gutting it out too right like it looked like he might be done when paul george fell on him and it's unclear exactly what happened i think it was just like a contusion to uh we'll call it the lower torso well and i believe malika uh, andrews said that he got the wind knocked out of him as well yeah yeah i mean george just landed like his whole body on him um and murray like couldn't get many shots but nine of 13 and 21 points like uh and he's also like stuck on Kawhi or paul george and holding his own reasonably well like the i mean i really give so much credit to this nuggets team Jokic, the way that he's shooting the ball making faster decisions being aggressive shooting it from three the way i think everyone really wanted him to be and that's opening so much up for these guys at the room like you remember that jamal murray dunk where he spun around paul george and i mean the and then he just goes right to the rim for a dunk and like zuba is just plastered to Jokic at the three-point line. That's why that play works. So uh, Denver I and Mike Malone off maligned in these parts he's continued to push the right buttons pretty much every game uh even if it seems a little ad hoc at times you know to Millsap was awesome Grant's been good in this series and so you know they were actually going really well with Porter and Craig so he stuck with those guys his ATOs he had two layups that he set up in the third quarter off of ATOs with guys just you know one for Millsap one for Craig just getting right to the rim for a, a layup he got another ATO for a Jokic pick and pop three so like that's been really good uh you know, to rally these guys mentally after and get them to defend when it looked like they just didn't have the personnel to get Nikola Jokic to improve his defensive effort the way he has over the course of these playoffs. Like this is really, really impressive stuff from this Nuggets team. And uh, I don't, I want to make sure that it's not lost in this discussion of the Clippers collapse. Absolutely. Couple other little notes here that I have. Anything else you want to hit on? No, I think I'm, I think I'm just about good. So I, a few more that I had another night nice play that the Nuggets ran was a double screen for Jamal Murray with Lou Williams and Harrell guarding the two screeners and that led to I think it was a Jokic pick and pop three over Lou Williams uh, that, that was a, a really nice play that they ran as well with those two guys in the game Patrick Beverly I've talked about it before but the reason why he didn't get serious all defense consideration for me and should not have been on the all defensive team is he fouls too much he's probably the highest foul perimeter player in the league Chris Dunn is the only one who's really in that neighborhood and 
Seth has talked about this, how he is always fouling on the perimeter when the other team's in the bonus and giving up two free throws. I was about to say free free throws, which, you know, I guess that's not too redundant. Um, And so uh, on our Discord, which I decided to do, I just jumped in on our watch party thread on Discord, which if you're a dunked on Prime Total Access member, you can see. I'll probably do that time to time during the playoffs. I'll try to announce it more ahead of time. But I asked everyone in there, what's the ETA on Beverly fouling out when he comes back in with five fouls? And of course, before anybody could even answer the question he had fouled out (laughs) (laughs) with you know what what was it 11 minutes left in the game uh and beverly of course another guy who's coming back from injury missed basically the whole first round series so the clippers certainly have been messed up by circumstance part of it of their own making like lou williams going to a strip club and getting quarantined for 10 days um kane fitzgerald probably the reason he might be the most loathed official in the nba is that he just makes it totally about him on some of these technicals and and there was a play where Jokic did get fouled and Mike Malone went completely eight chip and runs out on the floor at Kane Fitzgerald as the Clippers are getting a fast break the other way. And basically, as I think it was Kawhi is putting two hands on the ball to go in for a layup, Kane Fitzgerald calls the technical foul on Mike Malone because it's about Kane Fitzgerald. It's not about what what's good for the game that's going on. If you're going to get in my face, I'm going to call this technical right now. I'm not even looking at what's happening down on the other end of the floor. So uh, that that was a very like, and that screwed the Clippers over too, right? I mean, yeah. you would it, it, rather, co- it cost them it cost them a chance. Uh, it cost them two points basically. I mean, they did get the ball back. Yeah, but. yeah, exactly. So I can't remember whether they scored on that possession or not. Eventually, um, they did end up scoring on that. I just looked. Okay. Oh uh, yeah. Thanks for checking that. I was interested too. I had completely forgotten. I was so angry about the tech that I I kind of lost. Yeah. I kind of lost it for a second. And you want to guess what yeah. happened right What's after it? that? Patrick Beverly committed a foul. It's a pretty good guess. <laughs> um, and then I think the last thing I had, which was just more of a, a weird note than anything if you look at the Clippers shot chart in the second half actually I guess this would technically be the shot plot is it evened up actually but for like the first eight minutes or so of the third quarter every single Clippers shot took place on the left side of the floor and generally there are more shots taken on the left side of the floor like right-handed players like to kind of be able to drive to their right hand to the middle of the floor and you know post players usually like the the left block if you're a left hand or if you're a right-hand post player but that to me shows how they weren't getting enough ball movement and this hasn't been a good enough passing team where if you're taking all your shots on the one side of the floor yeah you might start the action on the left side of the floor but then how about actually moving it to the other side of the floor every once in a while like to it, to go that long without taking a shot on one side of the floor just shows the lack of variety to your attack and how you're not moving the anyone who's seen our youtube videos knows that i don't wear formal stuff all the time so when it's time to dress up rather than dress down i highly recommend inochino they were the official outfitter of my wedding i got my tux from there all my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well i felt really good about having them be the outfitter of my wedding because all my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly because when you go somewhere else you're not going to get something that's made for you. So why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you. And not only does Indochino have the suits that made them famous, but now they've got everything. Blazers, pants, women's wear, outerwear, designed and made for you. Hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from. European wools, linen, 
cottons, tons of colors, tons of patterns. You can customize things like the lapel, the vents, the pockets, and you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style. Level up your game with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com. Use the code CAPSPACE. Use the CAPSPACE. We talk about all the time here on the program. You get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at Indochino. I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O. Indochino.com. And don't forget that CAPSPACE code to let them know that you came from us all enough okay let's talk a little preview here of boston and miami this is a series that as i think about it at the outset i won't give my pick until the end because a lot of times i really start to think through some issues here as time goes on these teams did play in the bubble once and miami won without butler right bam had the huge game where he took 18 free throw attempts although he only was 11 out of 18 but Uh, I think Bam had a quote today where he said, this series is going to be a lot of just guard your yard, guard your man. So I would imagine that the defensive approach for Miami, which they didn't do as much of against the Bucs, will be going back to that switching that we saw against the Pacers. That works well when a team has multiple offensive threats the way the Celtics do. And now the Celtics are much better coached. They have much better passing and they have much better offensive threats than the Pacers do and so the big thing for me is going to be how much do the celtics work to get the right matchup against switches and how much can they take advantage and how is miami going to stay out of those and you know hero is a solid defender but not a great one i think you can go at him and then duncan robinson did okay in the in the first two series but I think really being out in space for him against some of the best guys on Boston is going to be a major problem. And then Dragic is another one who you know he's going to be on the floor. Matched up against Kemba, I don't think that Miami has really great personnel to guard Kemba Walker. Like they don't have that one like super quick guard who can stay in front of him even if they are switching. Right, and we saw Malcolm Brogdon have some success not that the team did overall in Indiana attacking attacking really straight line stuff. And Kevin Walker doesn't have to attack in a straight line. He can set up guys on pick and rolls. And he is a different kind of challenge than Miami has has faced so far. Eric Bledsoe, former teammate of Dragic, isn't that type of guy. He's, he's a different type of point guard. And I'm, and Victor Oladipo is, so, is not himself right now. And, and I'm really interested. I think Kemba Walker could end up being the definitive player of this series just because there isn't a great counter there. And bam, wonderful switch guy i think that there will be there will be opportunities for him to, to continue showing and he's switched on to point guards well but i think kemba walker is a is a challenge because he can shoot at so many different levels and he can also make passes he's always looking and so yeah i think when boston has the ball it's going to be about that but also well, well let me ask you this uh, while we're on the subject sure. of walker i mean is he going to get any reps in a conventional pick and roll situation in this series i mean i guess if a linic is in the game um and maybe the other reps that he gets is you know if the screener is the guy guarded by Dragic or, or, Doug, or Duncan or Robinson yeah yeah and so is Miami going to switch that or are they going to try to stay more conventional uh that's a that's a really interesting question and that's exactly what I'd be starting with is basically Kemba Walker dri- dribbling and whoever whomever I guess Duncan Robinson is guarding setting the screen start there see what Miami does and then when Tyler Hero comes in the game do the same damn thing with him and Hero is a yeah. better I would say he's a more aggressive defensive player but and and Hero's lack of size 
like size compared to Duncan Robinson might matter a little bit less in the series because of the floor spacing. But I'll be I'll be very interested in that. And then also you you brought up the idea of, of matchup hunting. And if Miami is switching, that is something you basically have to do. And I thought that Boston actually did a pretty poor job of that against Toronto in some of those. Oh, it, it was maybe the worst job of that I've ever seen in my life. Right, especially in, in high leverage situations. And it's true that the the difference between the ceiling and the floor of individual Toronto defenders is different. Like you know, they're even their their guard defenders. You know, like some of them are, are are very good. Whereas that's not true with Heat. So maybe it's easier to say, hey, go for guy X or guy Y because it's it's just screaming obvious. But what concerns me from Miami's perspective is. Not only that they had they're they're gonna have some weak defenders out there all the time. I mean, that's just the structure of Miami's team right now. They have Dra- Dragic being so great is helping them offensively, but it gives opposing de- opposing offenses a place to attack. But also in this series, depending on how Jalen Brown looks, and that's a big if, and what we see from Gordon Hayward. Actually, I'll quick I'll interrupt myself to talk about that briefly. A reporting that we saw today that um from I saw it from Nicole Yang from Boss.com that Gordon Hayward will return in the series, but Brad Stevens doesn't know exactly when so that will be interesting to see but so what i'm wondering is does miami like do they the forwards that they have they definitely have some high-end guys but is that enough in quantity and in quality to stop the varying attack that the boston celtics have yeah now we could see potentially Miami decide that they want to win this on the defensive end, particularly if Duncan Robinson isn't as effective. You know, maybe we'll, I think we're going to see more of Derek Jones Jr. in this series than we saw in the last series. We could see more of Andre Iguodala and maybe, maybe Jones Jr. and Iguodala will be the guys to guard Kemba. And then they'll hope that they can, that'll make it easier to do some switching as well. When, uh, you know, if you have more size on Kemba Walker, I mean, that's because in the starting line, up for the heat they don't really have a good matchup against Kemba Walker at all and you know Jimmy Butler I think is a little too slow at this point in his career they generally have eschewed putting him on the best guys for the other team they want him more as a help defender and saving his energy for offense so that'll be a big deal uh so I think we could like the personnel for Spolstra defensively I think is going to be absolutely fascinating and then how much of a Linux are we going to see former Boston Celtic uh, of course if I were Brad Stevens, I would be trying to match up Kemba Walker's minutes with Kelly Olenek as much as I could to really let Walker eat in pick and roll during those periods. Well, you know what I'd be focusing on even more? Not having Robert Williams minutes sync up with Kelly Olenek's minutes. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, that's yeah. I mean, we could talk about the 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 other end of the floor here. Um, let's put a pin in that one. Uh, how about the Heat defense against Jason Tatum? It's interesting because I think Miami's defenders primarily there there are a lot of strength based guys, and so I'm wondering if if Tatum will try to use you know I, I think of him as having some some interesting speed advantages on on various guys, but Jimmy Butler is going to try to get into his body. Iguodala is going to try to you know get some strips and everything, and Jay Crowder will be in there as well. And you brought up Derek jones as a as a as a player who's going to have more time in the series and i agree with you there i i but the thing is like tatum didn't he he was facing really strong defensive players in the toronto series and and got going sometimes as a passer getting extra attention but i'm not sure miami's going to give him extra attention you know i guess so we might be going back to a kind of a different a different chase in tatum here because if they don't send a double then he's not going to have the passing angles it's going to be beat this guy one-on-one i yeah and he's i don't think he's that good at that i don't either yeah i mean i think it's really where he's had the growth this year has been as a pick and roll player shooting the three off 
the dribble. And, you know, he can get to some nice, like, step backs in an isolation. But I don't think he's, like, a great isolation player yet. If he gets a little bit stronger, then I think he will be. But guys can kind of get underneath him a little bit. And, you know, Toronto is an unbelievable defensive team. I think Toronto is even better than Miami, although Miami is a really good defensive team also. So I'm not saying Tatum can't have a big series here. uh, But I think Miami is pretty well positioned uh, to slow him down to some degree. But I, I do because I but I think the switching because they're going to be switching, which I mean again it would shock me if they don't do that. You know I don't think Tatum can do anything against Bam. I think Iguodala is going to would cause major problems for Tatum. Also Crowder is a little different, and Butler I think actually maybe Tatum could do a little bit better against those guys. But those guys aren't easy meat by any stretch of the imagination. So I'm I, I re- that's the biggest variable to me on offense is like is Tatum really going to be able to score one on one of these guys? I don't think he will be that efficiently but i might be wrong about that i don't have a great feel for how he's gonna look going against some of the heats like not the absolute best guys in the heat but like still solid defenders and it's a similar question with jalen brown and theoretically gordon hayward and marcus marcus smart as well like somebody is going to have a more advantageous matchup and do they let do the celtics let that guy attack or do they try to get that their cover in action with one of boston's better creators I, i'm i'm very interested to see how that goes and how that ebbs and flows over the course of an individual game and a series based on who's doing well. And I'm also interested in, you know, there was that difference in the Celtics Raptors series in terms of corner threes and that Boston was was generating them and, and not really conceding them. And how does that work in this series, both when when Boston has the ball and then also what kind of shots is, is Boston conceding when they're defending? Well, so I know you keep trying to transition to the other end of the court and, and we will get there. I, I, I thought I was done. So I, 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 I kind of pushed <laughs> Well, so, so the w- one other point that I have, uh, I mean, number Jalen Brown, you know, is he going to be kind of limited? You know, I, have we heard any reporting on how he was doing? Because he definitely was struggling and like a muscle injury isn't going to necessarily get that much better after just a couple of days like that. I think it was a groin issue. He tweaked his groin. He said he's feeling it and he was able to play through the pain. Yeah, so there hasn't been an injury report yet to to my knowledge. But the fact that you actually get a rare three days off probably helps the Celtics a ton, right? We thought that they would be at a huge rust disadvantage, but because of Monday Night Football, now they actually have all this time uh, until Tuesday. So I think that will help them get right. I don't see the rust thing. I mean, maybe the Miami rust is going to be a little bit more of an issue than uh, Boston being tired because that was, of course, a war of a series. But the last thing I'll say on the Celtics offense, a lot of pressure on Brad Stevens here. Like he needs to do better. Everyone was crapping on Nate McMillan, including us in the first round because they didn't have any answers going against the switching defense of Miami and it ended up just being a bunch of isos and guys trying to drive well Nate McMillan was worlds ahead of where Brad Stevens was in terms of his play calling when Toronto went to switching defenses at the end of game six and seven and now with everyone knowing that Miami is going to switch and the fact that they're doing it throughout the game maybe Stevens will have a chance to dial up a little bit more but Stevens generally has eschewed any kind of mismatch attacking basketball they're starting to do it more this year than they ever have 
but they haven't gone after the right guys that we've seen they do absolutely nothing in terms of attacking switching of you know things being in their dna like the quick slips or or plays where you can kind of catch them napping and miscommunicating like they didn't have anything even on atos they didn't try anything like that at all to get an easy shot against the toronto switching even knowing what they were in and coming out of an ato usually coaches can kind of set something up where there'll be a quick slip or something that causes a miscommunication uh and maybe you can't get your players to do that when it's not out of an ato but you should be able to at least dial that up in an ato i haven't seen that uh, from stevens really um he had a couple of nice sideline out of bounds like the jalen brown lot but so he's gonna really gonna need a new philosophy in a way that he's not historically coached i think to really maximize the celtics offense because i think the celtics are going to slow down miami pretty well on their defensive end as we'll start talking about in a second year so i think really the variable is going to be can boston find ways to attack miami switching or is this just going to be another kind of rock fight series the way that toronto boston series was? and the last point i want to make on that is it's not only about what they can attack but can boston attack guys off the floor can they with duncan robinson or tyler hero can they basically convince bolstra that they're going to attack so mercilessly it's too big of a disadvantage so we're going to have to go more defensive and in that circumstance the heat get a lot easier to defend significantly so and they'll still have ways to attack and especially dragic we presume will still be on the floor as long as he's not hurt or in foul trouble but if they have to go to iguodala if they have to go to Derek jones jr some of those guys instead of a more dynamic shooting guard that becomes a huge problem for miami's offense yeah, I think it does. And you imagine Marcus Smart is going to be on Duncan Robinson. I'm very curious to see how much Boston is going to go to a switching defense themselves. You know, Miami loves to run all this handoff action. And you know, even Robert Williams, I don't know if we're even going to see Robert Williams that much in this series, frankly, Danny. I think it's going to be Grant Williams. Cantor, again, I don't think we're going to see a ton of him either. I think Grant Williams is going to be their number one center off the bench so that they can do more switching. And the number Number one thing there to me is what took place in the seeding games. I'd mentioned this earlier that Bam Adebayo had 18 free throws, and the way he did it was a lot of off the dribble, sometimes even getting you know a five small pick and roll with him as the ball handler, and then just basically backing Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown or Hayward, whoever it was, right into the goal and just getting fouled. And Boston, remember their approaches, they don't want to leave you, they don't want to help at the rim and that worked great against toronto and i think that's largely going to work great against most of the heat perimeter players the question becomes though if bam is just going to be beasting these guys inside and he can he's somewhat unique for a big and that he can kind of just dribble himself into it he can act like a perimeter player and he can pass out of it if he's in help too big time big time so i mean you know there he had that sequence where he would just like came up with an offensive rebound and dunk the ball on the head of their whole team he has a level of athleticism around the room and robert williams is too weak he's gonna follow him like he's not gonna be able to deal with that and then also robert williams can't really deal with the handoff game and make good decisions that i mean i think they'll try robert williams to some degree uh and then you mentioned how robert williams is gonna struggle with the olympic pick and pop game as well um you know maybe maybe they would go with robert williams guarding andre guadala or something instead and put someone else on olympic that's probably what they would do if there is that matchup but you know we'll see williams has had his struggles defensively decision making is not his strong point right now but they may just kind of need his power and athleticism in some ways so uh, to me for the heat to win bam's got to be 20 points a game or over in this series 
shooters. And they also need to be using probably off-ball actions to get their best shooters, you know, catch Boston either napping or just in in, in some sort of system in, so that they can get Hero and Dragic and most importantly Duncan Robinson some some wide open ones get him some some clean looks and remember that Miami in the in the reg- regular season they had the fourth highest corner 3 attempt rate 10% basically of their shots came in the corner and Boston is trying so aggressively not to give those up. Boston, it's 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 been a kind of an approach off to not have threes at all. Boston actually one of the best teams at, at um yeah. It'd be interesting to see what where where the shots are coming from from Miami, and then this ties in with the switching. and And the reason why I think switching aggressively makes sense against Miami is that it makes a team have to create one on one, and I don't trust most of Miami's players to create one on one even against a marginally inferior matchup you know if you're getting yeah sure if you get the the absolute you know weakest if it's if it's J- jimmy butler going after kemba walker there's going to be there's going to be some fruit that can be in there but then you can help in those narrow specific circumstances but if this is jimmy butler trying to create one-on-one and maybe helping off him so he doesn't get as much catch or shoot i think that miami's going to have some real problem and miami getting to the foul line is another aspect of that and we saw the Celtics did foul a lot during the regular season, or something that KP pointed out, but I thought they did a great job of really locking in and not fouling against the Toronto Raptors. And you saw every time Kyle Lowry or Fred Van Vliet is driving, they did a great job. You got to show both hands. Butler is a little more difficult to not foul than someone like Lowry because he's just more powerful and he can beat you to the spot a little bit quicker. And so he can, even if you're not fouling with your arms, he can kind of get to the spot before your shoulder and draw a foul. But I don't think he has a great one-on-one matchup in this series i don't think he can do much against tatum or smart jalen brown if he's healthy now if hayward comes back that might potentially be a place to attack particularly if he's returning from an ankle injury i would imagine if hayward comes back he's just going to come off the bench and uh you know just kind of try to give them a little something extra on the second unit with some ball handling i would worry about his defense and you know i wouldn't expect him to be closing games in the series i think it's more just let's you know give us 20 minutes if you can of some competence if he, you know he comes back game three or game four or something like that so i don't expect him to swing the series necessarily um well here's how he could yeah. swing it potentially boston needs that level of competence all the time and there are going to be times when players get into foul trouble or just just something isn't quite right and we saw it in the toronto series where they just didn't have really another guy most of the time now, grant williams gave them some important minutes in game seven and at various moments robert williams gave them a little something and wanamaker was better than i anticipated in that series yeah. but even 20 minutes of gordon hayward makes a huge difference for Boston's rotation where they're generally only six guys that Brad Stevens trusts and presumably you and I both think Grant Williams is going to be an important part of that too but I'm not sure he expands that six to seven so I I, I do think that Hayward even if it is in a more modest role makes a big difference and also in a circumstance where Boston needs they need a couple extra buckets or maybe it's the end of each quarter where having a better offensive player on the floor you're not really you're, not, you're they're not going to be able to attack him defensively that those sorts of circumstances I think it could make a significant yeah I think Boston Boston could do a pretty good job on that Miami handoff game. And the Bucs actually, after the first couple of games, they got it together to do a pretty decent job on that. I thought the Bucs, by the end of that series, even without Giannis, were defending well enough to win. And they had a few times where they fouled Butler and, and that killed him at the end. But, uh, you know, it was really more of an offensive loss, I thought, uh, for the Bucs. And I think Boston is a much better offensive team than the Bucs are. Goran Dragic, 
and Jimmy Butler in pick and roll that will be interesting as well can they play that two on two you know if it's Tice he's not going to switch generally if it's Grant Williams they probably would switch that I'm guessing and we'll see how that would go and are they going to put Kemba Walker on Goran Dragic I would imagine if I'm the Heat and I'm going to milk the Walker Tice defensive pick and roll combination and trust Goran Dragic to get into the mid-range and be tricky and score or set up bam for alley-oops I think that's probably their best place to attack and then if you want to put Marcus Smart on Dragic then is Kemba gonna be on Duncan Robinson you know Robinson has a lot of size to get his shot off that's the case he runs a lot that could tire Kemba out maybe for the closing lineup you would put Kemba I mean I probably would go with Kemba on Hero rather than on Dragic in that situation just because Dragic is a more the head of the snake and you want Smart there to potentially cut him off foul trouble for Marcus Smart could also be an issue he avoided that very well against the Raptors to some degree but Miami is has guys who are even better at drawing fouls than Toronto does um are you ready for predictions you got anything else no I think I'm ready I think it's your turn to go first this time I'm really torn on this series I think that Miami's defense and their overall play has been so strong in Orlando especially in the playoffs they've only remember they've only lost one game so far and one of the teams they dispatched was the best regular season team in the whole damn NBA, the Milwaukee Bucks. And especially defensively, I think they can make some real inroads in this series. I think that challenging some of, they have enough good defenders to make a lot of Boston's best players beat them one-on-one will be a real challenge. And Bam, as you brought up, is a huge X factor. If he can take advantage of his advantages, it will it will make a world difference in making the Heat offense more viable. However, I think Kemba Walker is definitive in this series. I think that it will be hard for Miami to really expose him defensively because because I think Kemba's been a lot better in these playoffs, which is an important development for Boston. And I think offensively, he's a riddle that will be hard for them to solve and in a way that they haven't really had to deal with so far because of his pull-up jump shooting and then his ability to drive and pass. The other reason why I'm going to pick the Celtics, and I'm picking them in seven in this series, is because if it gets down to the last two minutes and it's within two points, even with, I think, Jason Tatum potentially having a challenging series, Jalen Brown not being 100%, I still think Boston has both a greater ability to make a bucket and probably a slightly better ability to make shots harder than Miami can. And both these teams are, are can do that. And generally for me in a series, if I think games are going to be close, I should pick the team that I think will be better in close games. And for me, that's the Boston Celtics. So Celtics in seven. I'm going to go Boston in six. And I certainly, there are many ways I could envision Miami winning this series. I talked about Adebayo. Butler could be a little bit better than I expect. And they also could maybe just shut down this Boston offense in ways that I don't anticipate. But I do think that Boston has a few more ways to attack on offense and a few more places to attack on offense than Miami does. And whether it's Robinson or Hero, Olenek, when he's in the game, you know, Boston is just a little bit more solid in terms of just not having players that you can go after. But I, there are a lot of schematic elements here as well. The coaching matchup is going to be huge and how they attack Miami switching is going to be huge. What the defensive scheme is for Boston, who's guarding who, what the bench matchups are. There's going to a lot of really interesting variables that could change this. So I'm not, I, don't, I see the 
series as being a pretty close series i do think that boston is a little bit higher of an offensive upside they have a little more talent the injury situation as well jalen brown if he's not 100 percent, we just don't know on that we don't know what gordon hayward is going to be able to give him either and we don't know how well boston is going to be able to deal with bam out of bio so and there there are it's an interesting series day because there are probably four different players butler bam walker and tatum any one of whom could be the best player in this series and we don't know who that's going to be yet but i think it's more likely to be either walker or tatum than bam or butler and that's why i'm going to go with the celtics in at bet 365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every basket every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line whatever the sport whatever the moment it's never ordinary at bet 365 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Six. All right, we still got time here. Let's bang it out and do the free agent forward rankings and also talk about some potential destinations for these players. I usually like to break this up into the following categories. And we talk, of course, about unrestricted and restricted free agents, but superstar, star, starter, rotation, and fringe is usually how I break it down. And why don't we begin with the one superstar who is available in all of free agency this year? And that's Anthony Davis with a player option at age 27 one of the youngest best players ever to be an unrestricted free agent but with the lakers now moving into the conference finals you thought maybe if there were some sort of a disaster there there's some chance he could look elsewhere but you know the whole clutch thing with lebron the fact that he worked his way out of new orleans to come to la i I think there's you know a two percent chance that he would even consider leaving and the only place i could potentially see him going would be miami uh if in fact he were to leave but that's very low probability I don't know that we need to spend much more time on it, but just uh, well, he, no, he's so far above anyone else. There is drama here, but the drama is not in where Davis signs. It's what kind of contract does he sign? And so AD could opt out and sign a one plus one. The reason I, I wrote a whole piece for The Athletic, so people who subscribe, you can check it out. It's from the hiatus, but it's worth getting into. So the reason why Davis would sign a yeah. one plus one is that it would align his contract with LeBron James. And so that way, if LeBron opts out and leaves or, you know, whatever, whatever happens there also like so davis could do that he could also sign a shorter contract to align with the 10-year max that is so more in, in line with what Kawhi Leonard did. We could see that too. Or you could see Davis theoretically go for security and say, the Lakers, this is the team I wanted to be on the whole time. I don't really care that there's basically no one on this team signed after next season. Doesn't matter. I want to be here. They'll come to play with me. So I'll sign a longer term deal. I think he's going to end up with kind of a middle tier to line up with the 10 plus year max, but it wouldn't stun me at all to see the AD do a one plus one. Yeah, in particular because there's a chance that the cap could be so much higher right. as as you got into. Next guy, I would say in the hierarchy, no stars, but a starter. And when I, I'm pretty harsh on what I consider a starter in these analysis, you know, I'm thinking of someone who, you know, you would be willing to pay at least over $15 million a year to. And maybe it's a little less than that if it's an older player, but kind of the thought is this guy is going to get three years, four years at starter money. And I'll have some older guys in there because they are going to start for a new team that they would go to in all 
eventuality but Danilo Gallinari is the the start there and it seemed like what was going to happen with him was a return to Oklahoma City once they didn't trade him at the deadline there isn't really a great landing spot for him in free agency on a long-term deal and but now with Billy Donovan gone some reporting that there might be a financial retrenchment thought that Chris Paul could get traded maybe they don't do that my thought was always just hey re-sign him and then you can always trade him later a potential sign-in trade for Gallo is also something that I think could be in the works where a team that has some bad salary would just and he's been the beneficiary of a sign-in trade for a contract that started around 20 million dollars before it could happen to him again um and then maybe that team dumps some bad contracts on OKC OKC trades Gallo and picks up you know say a first round pick or something like that uh that would be very much in line with what OKC has kind of been doing so if I had to pick one there I mean is there any team of just the cap space teams that you see a destination for him on not really especially with Charlotte probably not looking in that direction I think that they want to see you know PJ Washington and Miles Bridges and that that kind of resolve their forward situation not go with I think Gal would help them a ton you know if Charlotte wanted to go short term I I think that especially with the commitment by Atlanta to bring in centers so John Collins is a four Gallo can't guard threes anymore so I don't think you particularly want him there so yeah I don't I don't really see one of the of the cap space teams as a particularly good destination except potentially for Phoenix but the problem with Phoenix is we as a destination for Gallo is we saw them look good in the forward line even without Kelly Oubre in in the bubble when they went undefeated so do they want to throw a let's say a three-year deal at starter money to Gallinari he would help them he would be another huge part of their forward rotation if the Suns want to make the playoffs next year then it's a theory and like if the Suns, wait, I brought up the like 18 to 20 million that they could potentially have, depending on a couple things. If the goal is to be the best possible team in 2020 slash 21, I think Gallinari is probably, there, there are two, other, there's another option, which I think for me would actually be Fred Van Vliet in a really interesting decision. But I think Gallinari is the guy who would make them, the, improve them the most for next season. Yeah, and it does seem like Phoenix and Atlanta are two teams that have a mandate to get better. I mean, if Gallo is probably the best player who's likely to be on the board here, other than Van Vliet who wouldn't fit in Atlanta maybe you just go ahead and pull the trigger on him supposedly Atlanta's also gonna be interested in Davis Bertans I'm not sure that Gallo would want to go there and like you know who's gonna start them? they're just gonna bring Capella off the bench or you know but that also could be informed potentially by John Collins having some big demands uh, but if there's pressure to get better next year and you have all the space you know maybe you get Dal- Gallo on a decent deal you could always move him later that, that could be a thought so I wouldn't totally rule out Atlanta even though I wouldn't do it it doesn't make sense to me but uh and actually Miami is another one you might think of uh, as well although again we'll see what happens to them well, and we and we saw Miami go after Gallinari at the right. trade deadline but the problem is he didn't remember and they they wanted to get him and they apparently had a deal pretty close to in place but Gallinari didn't want to sign an extension at the terms that Miami wanted which is basically the same as what what Andre Gudala got so would he would they offer him more guaranteed money beyond next season seems unlikely yeah, right it like it would, it would be probably you know a team option or something like that at you know 20 million for one year and also Miami might want to just bring back Dragic or Crowder and then that's really going to eat into some of their space so I guess if I had to make a prediction on Gallo he goes back to OKC but or number two would be sign and trade and I guess number three would be Phoenix yeah I would have Phoenix's I would have I, 
maybe Phoenix should be higher. Well, if we're saying sign and trade to everybody, then I would say sign and trade one, OKC two, Phoenix three. But if it's but to a to a specific team, yeah, I would say OKC is the most likely. It's hard though. Yeah, so let's make sure we say the ages of these guys sure. as we do them. Gallo is thirty one. Marcus Morris at age thirty seems until it looked like the Clippers might lose in Game Seven uh, that it was fate accompli. He would return to the Clippers. They can pay him up to eighteen million using one hundred and twenty percent of the fifteen million that he made in the one contract known as non-bird rights still think it's pretty likely that he's going to come back they gave up a first round pick for him so and there's nowhere else that he can make as much as they would make well, and, and it would be brutally hard for the clippers to replace him because they have so many other salary commitments that they would basically be trying to find somebody for the mid-level to go into their closing five paul Millsap at 35 still i think can defend maybe the nuggets will go in another direction but it's probably something along the lines of mid-level exception for him at this point you know maybe there's a thought that he could go back to atlanta and just give them a veteran presence defensively be more of a bench guy and they'd overpay him for that he would but he could be just help some some guys learn the dark arts defensively and still just be a a quality presence there but you know maybe that would be another one of these one-year deals that would just be you know one year 15 million to go back and kind of be a backup power forward who might close games on occasion next to john collins uh, if they don't want to go with Capella, that could be a thought there. But I, I don't. You know, Phoenix is another potential destination, although you know his lack of shooting is kind of yeah, it's not great there. Um, Davis Bertans is fascinating. Age twenty-seven, unrestricted free agent. The Wizards did not move him at the deadline. You're already seeing these reports of teams like potentially Atlanta being interested in him. I it's, I don't think anyone really sees him as a starter. So does that put a cap on what he's going to get? And but the Wizards have kind of painted themselves into a corner where they kind of have to resign him because they could have gotten probably a first-round pick for him at the deadline, and they didn't. There's a parallel for me between Bertans and Joe Harris, two players who have value to their current team that are hard to replace, but I also don't know how they're going to drum up a full market. Now, you can you can do some damage through teams just being interested in you and maybe giving lip service, and but I don't think, especially in Bertans' case, that, you know, the Hawks, we, we just brought this up in terms of Gallinari. Like, they don't, they don't have a clear-cut need there, and also... So they have two centers now. So it's not like they can slide John Collins in and play Bertans, let's say like 28 minutes, but he's not starting. So I think that's a real challenge. Yeah. Again, like I said before. Well, I think they can. I think they could just play Capella 22, five minutes. A if game they wanted something. to, but I think they, I think they got Capella with the intention of playing him more yeah. like normal starter. But, but I, I guess your thought is like, hey, you got this cap space burning a hole in your pocket. If you're Atlanta, you have a mandate to get better now. There is, yeah, there is not the perfect player out there, right? Like, you know, you would, you would love if there was 27 year old trevor ariza out there that you could just overpay a little bit and to get in as a three and d guy who can play a little four for you as well but that guy isn't on the market this year we'll get to yeah and and it'll be a, a challenge for you know i will bertans i think this is the time to get a long-term deal this is the and, and that might be where the oh, wi- where the wizards go is some of these teams be like hey yeah we'll bring you in short term it'll help us out but like i don't think the hawks are going to give him like 17 18 million for four years to be to be a utility player for them so can berton squeeze the wizards enough i think he can because we haven't seen them be particularly judicious before so i'm thinking he goes back somewhere in the 15 to 17 million a year range maybe it's three years with some sort of partial on the fourth something like that and that would be a huge win for bretons if he can get that yeah i think something in the 50 to 60 million guaranteed range so, is about what i would expect are you going to have feldman make sure we bring back like run feldman for the wizards because just because that negotiation is going to be just brutal for all of us <laughs> Ha, 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 ha. 
well it might be brutal for me because trying to find who that other suitor is right like i mean i'm, I'm gonna that mock off seems to be hilarious because i'm just gonna maybe i'll like collude with whoever it is who has the hawks to just have them pretend to do an offer sheet to just price enforce on some of these guys uh or or, or an offer rather than an offer sheet in the non-restricted case so i'm gonna just run through some of these other guys that i have in this rotation sphere and if you have a comment on any of them feel free to break in so jeremy grant uh has a player option in the nine million dollar range next year he's only 26 my thought on him again the guy that the nuggets traded for giving up their first rounder to okc he's played well in these playoffs he's defended well on the perimeter i think he's done a credible job on Kawhi. he's hit shots well enough he's been a defensive presence i think he's a good fit next to Jokic. I think that and it's even I think what also has been important is seeing that he's actually capable of playing next to Michael Porter yes. Jr. And so that maybe the thought will be you bring back Grant. I think my guess is Hollinger thought he would opt in. I think he's going to opt out and maybe get something along the lines like three years, 33 to 35 million, uh, something along those lines, something just where he can feel like he's getting more than he would have gotten for the mid-level exception. And I don't know if that well, deal would well, be out there for him. Well, here's the team. question for, for Jeremy Grant is I think he's going to be a starter on the 2020-21 bucks. Would he rather opt... Uh, nuggets. Sorry, Nuggets. Sorry. Um, would he rather just opt in, take the risk, and get into the bonanza? And it's... I, 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 that's an interesting question. I, I think that if I, if I were willing to take the risk, I would, I would absolutely opt in here. Because I think a $10 million contract for Jeremy Grant will be there next summer anyway. And maybe, maybe if you have a really good year, the Nuggets think about extending him. Because remember, you can do that in season for somebody like Jeremy Grant if he opts in I would I would seriously consider I, I would seriously consider that and if he's averse to risk by all means no blame in taking that three-year deal or something like you talked about but remember the 2021 yeah. there are presumably going to be more teams with money than there are homes for the best players and Grant is somebody that could be a fallback for a lot of different teams everybody needs forwards and so I think that the the so it's funny I, I think that in some ways I agree with you but I also think that Hollinger's Holland, the idea of putting yourself in 21 for Grant is actually in some ways more viable than for somebody like Gordon, no, not Gordon Hayward, um, but like Otto Porter or something like that. Like, I think Grant's going to be in demand next year. So you, and I don't think the Nuggets are going to say, oh yeah, we'll pay you more money for next year on a one-year deal. Yeah, if he opts out. Yeah. I mean, maybe that's something they could work on in advance. He could get like a one plus one. It's slightly more than he's making now. Um, you know, I, I think they might be they might be willing to do something like that with them or, or maybe even a two plus one, something along those lines lines he can get back out there when he, he's 28 uh mo harkless at 27 i think you know a, a guy who's looking like he'll probably be in kind of that taxpayer mid-level range uh jamichael green as a player option in the five million dollar range i think he probably picks that up but at age 30 if there's someone who wants to give him more than one year maybe he doesn't but he's again seems like he's kind of in that taxpayer mid-level he, range. he could be hurt more by if they actually enforce tampering stuff than almost anybody because it would be great to know if there's a five to six million dollar offer out there before you decide on the player option marvin williams has retired sadly uh i thought he still had something left um bobby portis is going to be out there you know again i see him kind of in the five million dollar a year I, backup forward i will put mike scott kind of i will put the odds that i hate his contract at 90 percent. well it's been the case so far uh and then a few other guys jabari parker is probably gonna opt in markeith morris is now on he did have a player option but he was bought out of that so he's he's at 30 he's shown some signs of life but i think he's gonna be kind of more of a minimum guy going forward you can also throw jeff green into this mix 
uh, of kind of these minimum backup power forwards, but who have playoff experience. Jared Dudley just didn't play at all this year. I still think a team should try and sign it, but you know, 34, that's a little more difficult. And then uh, Rondé Hollis Jefferson at 25, also you know, lower end rotation guy, his lack of shooting kind of limits him a little bit. Uh, so let's talk about the restricted guys here. It is not a deep class of restricted power forwards. The the Really the three are Juancho Hernan Gomez acquired by Minnesota. I think he's going to be incredibly squeezed by the market, but you and I both like him. I think that an offer around the taxpayer mid-level, I think might be enough to pry him away. I don't think Minnesota... Oh, no, no, no. You think they'd match? Okay. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure they would. Yeah, if they give up a first-round pick to Well, I think they did did that more for Malik Beasley than for Wancho, personally. No, I I agree, but I think, like, he's... He fits into their system. They don't really have anyone else who's a stretch four option on this team. He can move his feet okay. He can rebound. Yeah, and Rosas could make the bet that, you know, that a lot of contracts signed in 2020 look better moving forward. So if it's like a... So so then, do you think that there's another team that would tie up more than their taxpayer mid-level for Wancho? Probably not. I think he could get squeezed. He could be a potential qualifying offer. I I think he ends up taking something in, you know, the three years, 18 million, 20 million. I think he gets less than that. Okay. Yeah, you might be right. It could be three years, 15 million. Um, but I, I I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I'm uh, I think even that would be a pretty decent deal for him as a young guy, still 24. Sharach, who we talked about at 26. And man, from just the business of basketball perspective, we don't spend a lot of time on this, but how much he screwed himself over, I think, by w- not waiting one more year to come over and getting a, a better deal early on. Because you know, remember, he got drafted in 2014, but he said he would come over in 2016. If he waits one more year, then the Sixers could have just paid him anything. He's not tied to the rookie to, scale. Yeah. Right. So. Uh, but anyway, so at 26 for him, this is another one where I don't see a great suitor for him. I don't see how there's going to be an offer sheet. I don't think there's a team that wants to tie up their mid-level on him. He did play better in the bubble. He got some minutes as a, a backup five. I think Phoenix would like to give him back. They also, or bring him back, I should say. They're also in the situation, though, as we talked about, where his cap hold could prevent them from doing other things. Now, what they always could do, though, if they wanted to... The Kelly Olenek? Uh, yeah, or they could re-sign him for a lower number and then maybe still use some sure. space. Well, so a, I'll explain well. what the Kelly Olenek is. So the, that was the circumstance when the Celtics ended up signing Gordon Hayward. What they did is they kept the qualifying off- offer out there for a couple days. Olenek withered on the vine. Some of the options went away. He ended up still getting paid plenty by the Heat. But then they once, once the Celtics got Gordon Hayward, once he functionally chose the Celtics over the Heat and the Jazz... Then they just withdrew the qualifying offer to Kelly Olynyk, and he became an unrestricted free agent, signed with the Heat. Got got a pretty solid payday there. So we could see Sharks with that, where basically James Jones plays both sides. Of this. He tries to get somebody for 18 million, and then if he can't, then you sign Sharks. The only risk there is that you lose somebody like Aaron Baines. Maybe he signs earlier, and so because you it, you have to do all this kind of quickly. Um, but it is distinctly possible. And then the Celtics have the decision with Semi Ojale that we've seen a few times recently, which is they can either pick up his team option for the minimum and have him be unrestricted in 21 or they can decline that to have him be restricted this offseason I would as the Celtics I would actually decline that and have him this year I like Ojale I think that he will be underpaid by the market and you get kind of he's not as good as Marcus Smart but you get a Marcus Smart situation where he you have to fall in love with a guy in restricted free agency I don't think anybody's going to fall in love with Ojale get him on a reasonable deal for two to three years and then hopefully have something there as a potential trade chip or just a good player at a reasonable price i think they opt him back in uh and just 
keep them for a, another year at the minimum they've got a lot of tax issues for next year I, I could see even a team that would be like hey we'll give you an offer sheet for like three million a year or something like which i would do frankly i think he, he just has a lot of versatility he's shown a little bit more as a jump shooter this year and yeah he's not the highest iq player in the world but i think he's he still is able to be kind of in the rotation on a, a a good playoff team but i think they just opt him in to just have some cost certainty going into next season because even if he takes his qualifying offer that costs them more in luxury taxes and let's move now to small forwards i want to start actually with brandon ingram who's the second best free agent of any stripe on the market did make the all, all-star team this year and do you think it's going to just be the no-brainer five-year max from the pels or are they going to try and squeeze him a little bit i think they'll try and the challenge for both sides here is Ingram can get a three plus one. So meaning a three-year deal with a player option for the fourth year. I think he can get that offer sheet from somewhere. It's probably, probably the Hawks, but I think I think it'll be available somewhere. Does he prefer the three plus one to a straight five-year deal from the Pelicans? Because I think the Pelicans are going to want, want to try to avoid giving him a fifth-year player option. That's you know that's a, a, an element of, of control because remember that options, the assumption is always that the entity that's deciding on it will decide it properly. So then if Ingram disappoints, then he picks up a player option. If he does well, then he's an unrestricted free agent a year earlier. And I think Ingram's going to, especially with the DVT that he had, and you know, thinking about how much he improved this year, I think he ends up just signing a straight five-year. That's my guess as well. I mean, maybe you could say, hey, you know, Nikola Jokic, he signed for, you know, 10 million less than the max over five years. But I think they're, he's 22. They're going to want to get him for five years. And I think the, the, now you are in a better situation then on an extension because you can give five years at less than the max whereas the bucks with Giannis, for example their only options because of an extension was you could do five years but it has to be the max or four years for less than the max but then it's four years and obviously that is uh gonna be a problem for uh, the milwaukee bucks going forward if the, it would have been great if they had Giannis for another year so i think uh that's where i see it heading is five years pretty darn close to the max if not the max because the other thing is you know for sure the atlanta hawks will would break out a max offer right for him and the part of the reason focus on ingram at the small forward line is because the pickens get really slim gordon hayward especially with the cap dropping well, well hold on actually let me, let me correct something i just said because I, I don't know for sure that the hawks would do that they might spend their cap space on veterans before you could even do an offer sheet for ingram um it also looks like perhaps if we're going to have a super short moratorium that could help potentially restricted free agents uh, where all the cap space isn't as used up I and mean, certainly the hawks would like to have ingram but maybe since it's such a no-brainer match maybe that offer sheet wouldn't be out there so i i'll i'll go back on what i was saying before on that one. i think it's a fair assumption that it would be there but saying yeah. it's definite is, is, is yeah it's it's a it's certainly a risk for the pals to take i mean i think again you ingram gives something in five years not the player option and maybe a little bit less than the five-year max I, I think there is kind of an understanding particularly since he didn't play well in the bubble that you know he's not quite at the level of just like your normal 22 year old all-star but i mean the reality is 22 year old all-stars get max contracts that's yeah. just what happens so what i was getting to is that the pickings are really slim after ingram yeah. gordon hayward i assume he's going to opt in there's a chance that he opts out and would take you know like if the cap were higher then you could see a team offering him 20 to 25 and maybe hayward prefers the security that maybe even boston just to get a little bit less money on their books but i think he opts in sees you see where everything goes in, yeah. in 21 in 23 i mean may, maybe if they win the championship and he wants to contribute but you know i i don't know uh, it's still some of this is yet to be 
written in the Celtics postseason, but I mean, he's probably going to opt in 34. And Otto Porter is definitely going to opt in. Oh, that's correct. So then that leaves the real unrestricted free agents, uh, the high profile guys as Joe Harris, who has extreme leverage with the Brooklyn Nets because they can't really sign anybody else. They're so deep into the tax. But also Harris facing the new financial realities of a lower a lower tax than probably than we expected. And so then that every dollar you give to Harris is more expensive both this year and potentially moving forward. I just Yeah, and you can see Harris is potentially being a fit in Atlanta, maybe Phoenix. Well they cut Cam Johnson's kind of pretty similar to him, so maybe not. Uh you know, the Knicks, if they decide to spend, would certainly seems like such a Joe Harris destination. I mean I could see I could see Charlotte basically just they them just saying, hey, we need more offense for spacing could be there as well. Yeah, the Nets have tax issues, though, as you mentioned. And as of right now, even with Harris, if you project him making you know around fourteen million or so, that would put them quite a bit into the tax. Yeah, is this right? Hold on. Oh yeah, because they got the Levert extension kicking in next year as well. So yeah, I mean they're they are going to be a tax paying team, and so you might say, hey, there's a a way that Joe Harris might have offers elsewhere, and they wouldn't re-sign him if it really gets steep for twenty eight years old. At, at, but they need guys of his ilk who can shoot the ball around KD and Kyrie and he defends okay so I I mean I think something in the you know three years 42 million range kind of seems like about it for for Harris and above the mid-level and you know maybe there would be a crazy offer sheet above that or not offer sheet but offer above that well and then the other player who's hopefully made himself some money in Orlando is Jay Crowder I mean Crowder didn't look didn't look like this was going to be great for agent timing for him after what things looked like in Memphis and and some challenging last couple of years, but he could potentially interest some teams. There just aren't that many forwards that can capably defend if teams think that the three-point shooting is for real from Crowder. But the challenge with Miami is, sure, I think Miami would love to have him back for next season, but I don't think they will want to give him any guaranteed money beyond 2021. So if he wants that from somewhere else, then that could be a... Uh, that could, Crowder, if he wants kind of like that last big contract at the age of 29, then it's, it's probably that opportunity. And, you know, if he could get... The, would you rather have the non-taxpayer mid-level exception or something thereabouts for three years? Yeah, I, I think I think if he unless he prioritizes being on a contender, I think that's the right call. Yeah, I mean the way he's played, you know, he's playing like a fifteen million dollar a year player right now. Uh, now he is twenty nine. He doesn't have that track record of doing it over the last few years. But the way he's shooting the three and defending, I mean, he's their, their main guy on Giannis. Like he, he's looked awesome, and he looks back to the guy that he was in Boston. But it's been three years of certainly not shooting the ball this way, and he looks more spry defensively at 29 you don't want to bet on that continuing but i definitely think there are some teams you know does he come back on like a balloon one-year deal in miami and try to get back in for him i would be prioritizing the years because he's never going to be playing better than he is right now we'll see how what an impression that actually has made on the league uh derek jones jr at 23 unrestricted free agent pretty much as young as an unrestricted free agent who's actually in a rotation can get and I really like him for a lot of teams as kind of a perimeter stopper defensively and then have him be the role man on offense. And you also could hope that his three-point shooting would develop. He started to be okay from the corners. He still can't hit anything above the break. Uh, But I love him in Dallas. Yes. 
uh it, like picking as the role man defensive stopper and you've got Porzingis spacing the floor for you I mean that would be awesome or Kleba spacing the floor floor for you uh I think there's a lot of fits there for Derek Jones Jr uh Warriors might kind of be one a little bit too to, to get a little bit more athleticism and youth for them um you know still same kind of role there around shooting diving to the rim he'd be a good fit like he his gravity around the room would be good enough that maybe you know you can still play him and Draymond Green together if you wanted to so I'm uh any other teams really come to mind for you and what do you think his price point would be so I don't think Jones Jr I I wonder how much loyalty he has to the heat because they're going to run into the same problems with him that they are with all their other guys of what what do they want to give him beyond the coming season and it's not like he's getting the lion's share of like forward rotation minutes or anything so far now that could change in the Eastern Conference Finals theoretically in the NBA Finals if they advance as well I'm thinking of him more in the like between the the taxpayer mid-level and the non-taxpayer mid-level I'm higher on Derek Jones than the average GM I would say I think that I think that's fair to be able to get a young guy who has some upside and who can defend well as and as forward size like there just aren't that many guys who who check that many boxes a team that I would be very interested because we, we don't really know where they're going. San Antonio basically saying, we don't know what's happening in our front court of the future, but you're a good player at a reasonable price. And I think he would be, I would love to see him with LaMarcus next year. I would, I, I think that would be a smart move for San Antonio to make. Yeah, that that would be an interesting one and try to develop him a little bit as a shooter. You know, but you know, if you have a traditional center who needs to be around the rim, it's a little bit harder of a fit. Oh, but Portland could be an interesting Minnesota. one. Yeah, they may not have the scratch for it but depending on what happens with beasley but like if i had to choose between you know for whatever reason it got close enough with wancho i would rather have Derek jones jr than wancho easily yeah depending on the fit but yeah the only downside there is that you're now kind of clogging up the space again for carl anthony towns as you've talked about it's if you have a really good shooter what like what if we put more shooting around him instead of use his shooting to add more non-shooters that's true um I think actually Washington would be a really nice fit for Derek Jones Jr. as well. Uh, so yeah, I mean, something, I think he's going to have a lot of suitors. I, I think his bidding should go a little bit higher. You know, he is a minimum player. He kind of hasn't been playing in the playoffs. Uh, he's had a few injury issues. Utah would be another one that might make a little sense for him, although the, the mix with Gobert isn't amazing, but they desperately need some athleticism on the wing and they have other shooters. So I'm, uh, I think he's going to have a lot of suitors, but I mean, Dallas is the one and yeah, they have their 21 cap space aspirations as well but i think you know if you sign him to seven or eight million you can still make it work by moving dale on right that uh, or curry or dwight powell or something that uh, offseason um and you know maybe miami brings him back uh, as well uh, but and much will depend on what happens with crowder if they lose crowder then jones becomes a much bigger priority but he, he'll be a fascinating one I'm, I'm really interested to see what happens with him i i, I don't I, I really don't have a feel for whether the rest of the league values him the way you and i do yeah it's a, it's a great question and i yeah like you could see somebody like cleveland theoretically get into the mix and it's a similar idea that i said with san antonio like we don't know what our front court of the future is but you can be a part of it and i also don't know what Derek jones jr wants like he's young enough then i think that he can he can prioritize i think it's going to be money plus role but i'm interested in in who who identifies him the way that we do in a year that so few teams have flexibility and this is a big picture thing um who gets prioritized by a given team like there is is, like who gets the minimum night meeting is, yeah. is i mean with Derek jones jr but but there's so few guys in this class who can credibly defend on the perimeter some of the best guys right. so that, i think that's another reason and he's 23 
and he has this this bounce on offense that gives him a role that some of these you know it's a unique role that not every team can use but he could be really powerful if you use him right what do you think of gr3 he's kind of the next guy i have on this group i mean not a lot i mean i only have four guys in the rotation strata or, or strata here and you know james dennis wilson chandler those guys are pretty low robinson we didn't really get to see him in the playoffs at all for philly i thought he played well this year for golden state looked better as an individual defender and shooter his athleticism is kind of on the decline for when he was a dunk champion uh another one of these guys where i saw him all year i might be higher on him for that reason the league doesn't really seem to value him that much he was terrible up until this year and you worry that his shooting could regress well don't really know what his shooting will regress i think that's fair but i mean so gr3 he was 39 percent this year from three and 29 percent the year before when he was on when he was on detroit but he's a career 37 percent three-point shooter and he's basically taken about three and a half four per 36 minutes almost his entire career and so i think that there is more consistency there so the 39 is probably an anomaly but being in that you know high 30s range i think that's totally fair for him and i think he's capable defensively so yeah low a low end starter but a guy that could help almost any team in the rotation i think i think of gr3 as you know that's in the in the non-taxpayer mid-level range i think that he could help almost every rotation um but does any team fall in love with him does any team give him more than like 10 million a year i'm a little bit skeptical Oh yeah, I wouldn't put it in there. I mean, I think to me, it's kind of a question of, is it just like, all right, this guy's been on the minimum and he's a minimum guy again? Or is it- Oh, I would be, give him no, way more than the minimum, personally. Million. I would, I would. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I would pay him five, six million a year. I yeah. think you know, right around the uh, tax. I wouldn't hesitate level. at that. At that kind of, um, I'd hesitate around nine. Yeah. Anybody else on this list? I mean, you've got James Dennis and Wilson Chandler. We know what they are. They're probably going to be around the minimum again. Anybody else on this list that really like? Oh, a team should take a chance on this guy that I have kind of in that fringe area. The amazing thing is, no, not really. I mean, I mean well, there's Trevor Ariza at thirty-five and a possible nine-year yeah, in yeah, team Ari- for twelve. Sure, million. if if Ariza, if he gets, if if they choose the partial guarantee over the full guarantee yeah absolutely i would i would have yeah what's the 1 million guarantee 1.8 out of I believe, that yeah yeah out of that 12 million so i mean maybe the blazers could move on from him in which case he kind of settles into this taxpayer mid-level to mid-level area you would think but yeah i know there will be constituencies for josh jackson i don't really see it very much for him i'm not a huge fan of like wessa wundu or some of these other kind of like toolsy guys that haven't really shown it yet Bembry is i think Bembry is going to get uh uh, he's going to get not get a qualifying offer because they wouldn't want him to pick that up. So he'll be unrestricted. Yeah. And I would love to see Andre Robertson be healthy enough to justify a significant contract, especially after all he's gone yeah. through over the last two years. But, but I don't. That could be a decent make good. Though, Absolutely. Potentially. But but I, I, I'd be an intriguing flyer, but I don't see him getting above the minimum. Yeah. it's I, I And a lot of guys that have had significant contracts, like Evan Turner, who maybe he takes a lot less to go to a better team, but I also don't know where the hell he fits on a better well, team. Well, I mean, he was, he was out, out of the league, right? Yeah. Like he's, I mean, is he even, I mean, maybe he gets a minimum I think somewhere. he gets a minimum a, somewhere. He's, no way he's getting more than that. No, no, I don't, I, but but how how choose, is he going to get enough options? Mar, Mario Hazoni is going to pick up his player option. I'm, I'm fairly confident in that, even though it's, uh, yeah. not lucrative just to make to make sure he gets there and good uh, on his agent yeah. to get one considering uh, considering everything yeah tory craig is a restricted free agent maybe we can close on him um age 29 he's get gets screwed over by the late career guy who hey the le- congratulations the league already failed to identify you and now you get screwed over financially once they already did rule which we 
desperately want to see changed in this uh, next CBA. But at 29, I imagine Denver will probably make an offer, you know, in the three, four million range and that he'll probably just end up having to take it. You know, maybe something like two years, eight million is about as, but they can use his restricted free agent status to squeeze him a little bit. But he's he's been a quality performer in the playoffs two years in a row. And I think, you know, $4 million a year for him as a guy who may not be in the rotation every night, but can come in and play in playoff series that gets smaller is a useful guy to have. Yeah, absolutely. And there, it's possible that somebody likes Torrey Craig enough, especially if he, with him having some nice performances in the playoffs defensively, he's hit a couple shots as well to give him a little bit more than that. And I don't think there's a team that would consider doing like a, a troll offer sheet or anything like that to make Denver, to make Denver sweat slash pay a little bit more because they are a very tax conscious organization so far. Maybe that changes if they make the conference finals in a couple days, but I, I don't think it does. And I think that Craig, he's just not quite good enough for that. Like he's not good enough for that kind of troll. Give him a little bit more, see the sun, especially because he's 29. So I think he gets squeezed by the market in pretty similar terms to what you said. All right, that'll do it for today. You should definitely sign up for Dunked on Prime. If you haven't already, you can get this type of analysis five days a week. And for Prime listeners, we will not be doing a pod tomorrow. This is actually our eighth consecutive day of podcasting. There's no game tomorrow. So we're gonna take tomorrow off and please sign up. Link is in the show notes. And for those who are not Prime listeners, I would encourage you to sign up because we have hardship pricing. If you're in a difficult financial situation, you can inquire about that. That's also just email dunkedonprime at gmail.com and send us a couple of words about your situation and we'll hook you up with that. And then for this show, we're going to be doing Sundays. We're going to try and make it a little bit more evergreen topics, as I mentioned, but Sunday nights, Mondays, if you're going to work, that's when uh, your free dunked on will be available most weeks. Talk to y'all on Tuesday. Till then. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.